the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, in the days of the Desert Fathers, in Egypt, early days of monasticism, there was a young man named Pelagius who had been brought up in a Catholic family, lived a good Catholic life, and after the death of his parents, he sold all that he had and became a hermit. And at a certain point in his life as a hermit, he was tempted to impure thoughts and he consented taking pleasure in them. And having committed this sin, he was ashamed to confess it. He told God that he was sorry, he even did intense penance. After a while, he entered a very austere monastery. But he died without mentioning this hidden sin in his last confession. His body was buried, and even with honor, because the other monks considered him to be a holy man. And yet, the day after his burial, when the other monks awoke, they saw his body lying out of the grave, sitting on the ground next to his grave. They were, of course, astonished, but they buried him again, and it happened again. So they buried him again, and it happened one more time. And the abbot, not knowing else, knowing what else to do, said to Pelagius, you are always obedient to me in life, now in death. I command you to tell me why this has happened. And the dead body of Pelagius spoke. He said, see what state my, my soul is in. And his body appeared as if on fire. Said this because I did not confess a mortal sin. Mortal sins committed after our baptism must, must, must be confessed to a priest. In the gospel today, we, we have these lepers approaching our Lord, and our Lord tells them, Go show yourselves to the priest. Leprosy is an image of sin a disease that corrupts everything, the same way that sin corrupts everything in our souls. Our Lord is giving, as it were, an instruction through these lepers to sinners to go to the priests. And elsewhere in the Gospel, our Lord even more clearly gives this power of forgiving sins to his apostles. According to the Council of Trent, the principal moment for the institution of the sacrament of penance comes after the resurrection, when our Lord says to his apostles, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. For sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. For sins you shall retain, they are retained. And there are words addressed to the apostles, who are priests, not to all of our Lord's followers in general. And it has been defined dogmatically by the church that only the priest has the power to grant the absolution of sins. And in that quotation we just gave, our Lord instituting the sacrament, we can see that he's reiterating in the plainest terms, sin, forgive, 
retain what he had previously stated in figurative languages. Figurative language, bind and loops. So this text specifies and distinctly applies to sin the apostle power of binding and loosing. And just prior to this, our Lord had declared that the mission of the apostles is similar to that which he had received from the Father and which he had fulfilled. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And obviously he came into the world to destroy sin. And on various occasions, he explicitly forgives sin. Hence, the forgiving of sin is to be included in this mission of the apostles. And our Lord not only declared that sins had been forgiven, but he really and actually forgave them. And so he gives this power to the apostles. They're empowered not merely to announce that the sinner has been forgiven, but to grant him forgiveness. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. And if this power were limited to the simply to the declaration that God pardons you, priests would need a special revelation in each case to make that declaration valid. But no, the power resides in the priest by the sacrament of holy orders and by the church granting them jurisdiction. And the power has two parts, to forgive or to retain. The apostles are not told to forgive sins indiscriminately. In penance, the priest acts as a judge. Interesting note that that's why ordinarily the priest hears confessions while seated. Seated in the position is the position of the judge rendering judgments. We act as a judge for giving or retaining according as the sinner deserves. The sinner does not express true repentance for his sins, then the priest must make the judgment not to forgive. And if he does really repent, then the priest must make the judgment to grant that forgiveness. And we could say, subject to certain conditions, assuming that sincere repentance, the judgment of the priest is the judgment of God. Whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Pronouncing those words of absolution, God works through the priest acting in the person of Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. So it is not enough, as the Protestants say, to simply confess directly to God, to confess to, to God in our hearts. It's not enough to confess to, to any person or even group of persons. It must be to a priest. God has imposed this condition for us to receive forgiveness, and we have to respect that institution. To what priest should we confess? The church has always allowed a great deal of freedom in the, the choice of confessor. We can pick the priest we want, the one with whom we are most comfortable, or even just pick the one who has the shortest line. It's, it's really up to us. However, I would caution you to confess to traditional priests. And I recommend confessing to priests who haven't been infected with modernism that's taught presently in, in most seminaries. 
I certainly myself have had plenty of bad experiences in confession with with priests in the in diocese, as priests who say the Novus Ordo, and so on. And I know many other people have had too. There's not a sense of the integrity of the confession. I'm not asking, for example, the number of mortal sins. That's a problem. Downplaying the seriousness of sin. That's a problem. Penances that are too light. Also a problem. And worst of all, changing the words of absolution so as to cast doubt on validity. That is a very serious problem. But assuming the traditional priest, it's good to consistently go to the same priest who can get to know your soul, who can help you with more specific advice, who is starting over every time. It's not mandatory, simply recommended. And if there is an imminent danger of death, any available priest, given the circumstances, the seriousness, even an apostate priest, even a laicized priest, can proudly grant the absolution. Church, wanting to take care of your soul in that last moment, grants the power to any ordained, validly ordained priest. And we can note the great obligations, one of the great obligations of the priests in hearing your confession is what we call the seal of confession. It's obligation to keep secret what you have told him in your confession. It's actually the obligation also applies to anyone who accidentally or even on purpose overhears someone else's confession. So if you happen to be walking by the confessional and the person confessing says something too loudly and you hear his sin, you too are bound by the seal. It does not bind the penitent himself. If you want to talk about your own confession, that's your business. You're, you're permitted to do so. But be careful there too because what a priest has said in a particular case can be misunderstood or even cause scandal without if it's not given without the relevant context. But the seal of confession does bind under pain of mortal sin and under pain of excommunication. If I were to reveal what you told me in confession, I would have to apply to Rome to be released from, from the excommunication that I would receive for revealing your sin. And I could not exercise my ministry until I did so. So it's a very serious thing that the church takes very seriously. And that's any direct revelation of the matter of confession, your sins, or even of anything that could lead to someone being able to figure out another sin. There's a famous story, I don't know if it's true or not, but in some country in Europe there was a priest who was celebrating his 25th anniversary and his home parish had a big party for him. And he was making a, a speech at the end of it, and he said, yes, it's been a the priesthood. You really grew up quickly. You, you're thrown right into the fire. And my very first, the very first confession I heard, someone confessed adultery. And then later on, some more people came and joined the party, and one man presented the priest with a gift. They said, and you remember, Father? Remember, I was your very first confession. So even things like that, we are obliged to be very careful not revealing anything that could lead someone to know what someone else has done, even if it's not directly the sin itself. 
So even those incidental details and even incidental details mentioning confession should not be shared. If a priest wants to talk to you, even to you, about your confession, he has to ask your permission first. All right, and if you want to talk to him about your confession, you have to give him the permission, although if you bring up the subject, that permission is certainly implied. Under no circumstances, no matter how grave, may the priest divulge what he knows from confession. Not to save lives, not as a matter of national security, under no circumstances, May he reveal those things. Which is necessary for maintaining the confidence of the faithful in the sacrament. It's a difficult thing to reveal your sins to someone. Far more difficult if you suspect he might then reveal those to other people. But it is by the grace of God, too, that we rarely remember your sins, quite honestly. It all gets sort of mushed together in, in one mass of, of all the, the confessions we've heard over the weeks and months and years. Even if I know that you've confessed to me, it's unlikely that I will have any recollection of, of what you actually said. And as I think I mentioned before, your, your sins just aren't that interesting. No offense, sin is kind of boring, and we hear lots of the same things week after week, month after month, year after year all just lost there together. But again, even if we do remember, we can do nothing and say nothing about it. If you tell me in confession that you stole something from me, I cannot use that information directly or indirectly to get back my stuff. I can oblige him to to return it, which you are obliged to do, but under pain of not giving absolution. But even if you say, no, I'm not giving it back, there's nothing I can do about it, if the only way I know that is through confession. In doing some reading to prepare this, this sermon, I came across a very interesting quotation, don't forgive its length, but it's from Leibniz, the German Protestant rationalist philosopher, so someone not at all with a Catholic point of view. But he said, this whole work of sacramental penance is indeed worthy of the divine wisdom, and if aught else in the Christian dispensation is meritorious of praise, surely this wonderful institution is. For the necessity of confessing one's sin deters a man from committing them, and hope is given to him who may have fallen again after expiation. Pious and prudent confessor is in very deed a great instrument in the hands of God for man's regeneration. For the kindly advice of God's priests helps man to control his passions, to know the lurking places of sin, to avoid the occasions of evildoing, to restore ill-gotten goods, to have hope after depression and doubt, to have peace after affliction, in a word, to remove or at least lessen all evil. And if there is no pleasure on earth, like unto a faithful friend, what must be the esteem a man ha must have for him, who is in very deed a friend in the hour of his direst need? Strange reflection from a non-Catholic, but very true. This, this requirement that God gives us of confessing to a priest is a deterrent from sin. 
is a means of making progress in the spiritual and moral life. It's a source of, of tremendous strength and consolation. We have the moral certainty of having been forgiven. If we are sorry and we hear those words pronounced, ego te absolvo, even if we don't hear them, if the, we're saying our act of contrition and the, the priest is speaking quietly, but we know he said them, we are receiving that response from God. We are forgiven. And all of us priests here, we certainly we want to be these faithful friends, these friends of your soul. There is not one of us here who does not go to the confessional willingly and even joyfully. For its uh, natural enjoyment, it's not a whole lot of fun to sit in a stuffy little box and listen to people's sins. But because of, of what happens, because through us, your sins are forgiven. Through us, through the power given to us by our ordination, we are able to reopen the gates of heaven. We are able to call down the grace of God upon your souls. We want to be those, those friends for you, to be able to impart those tremendous benefits, the benefits of everlasting life. So do take advantage, as, as many of you certainly do. Make those regular confessions. Don't be afraid of going into the confession. Yes, we are there to judge you in a certain sense, but to judge you with the mercy of Jesus Christ. If you are sorry for your sins, you can be certain of being forgiven. Certain of being forgiven. Certain of being reestablished in the grace of God. And we became priests for that. To offer the holy sacrifice at the altar, to absolve you from your sins in the confession. These are greatest powers in which we we directly wield the power of Jesus Christ himself. So go, go show yourselves to the priests. And we ask Our Lady, Mother of the Eternal High Priest, to obtain for us a true gratitude for this priestly power of absolving our sins so that we might make proper use of it and attain eternal life. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.